Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. I'm Mariah Muhammad, she, her pronouns, writer for Becker's Healthcare. Today, we are joined by Dr. Steve Clasco in Hamantanasia, a general catalyst on the eighth episode of the Health Assurance podcast series, sponsored by General Catalyst. What will healthcare look like in 2032? And how do we make sure we move toward more health equity and better outcomes? Welcome to General Catalyst Health Assurance Podcast. I'm Dr. Steve Clasco, a venture capitalist, former healthcare CEO, and an obstetrician. And before all that, and maybe even most importantly, a DJ. Our health tech podcasts focus on where the healthcare sector will be in the year 2032, and what are the key ideas that should drive that evolution over the next decade. On the Health Assurance Podcast, we focus on solutions, not just problems. And we're looking to tap into the ideas of some of the trailblazing thinkers and executives who are impacting our path toward a healthier population. It's really a distinct honor to have the guests we have on the pod today. General Catalyst CEO, Heyman Tanasia, will be our exclusive guest for this full episode. We started our conversation with Heyman, as we often do, by just leaping forward into the future 10 years and looking back from 2032 to 2022, we like to call it healthcare time travel or the history of the healthcare future. Hey, Mon, it is uh, really, really great to be with you. Uh, I feel it's a little bit, since we're talking about time travel, this is, this is in essence, a hitchhiker's guide to the healthcare galaxy. And if you remember that book, it starts out with Don't Panic. Yep, and I think yep. the, the, the theme of, of GC is don't panic, whether you're a founder or, or, or the leader of a healthcare system. But it almost seems like dog years from when we were doing this and coming up with this concept of health assurance and how quickly we've gone. So um, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I want to start off with, because the concept of this is we're sitting here in 2032 and we're reflecting on what things were like in 2022. So I want to ask you three simple questions. One is, what are we laughing about that everyone didn't see coming in 2022? God, I can't believe that still exists in 2022. What are you most proud of what you did in 2022 and said, gosh, I, I must have been able to see the future as a change agent? And then what are you sort of like sad or crying about and say, God, if only we had done that better knowing what I know today? Hmm. I, I always like going on these time travel journeys with you. I guess what we would be... Um, laughing about in 2032 is this whole idea that big tech solved healthcare. Because I think there's a lot of emphasis today on, uh, you know, uh, large technology companies getting into uh, uh, the space, surely, purely because the market is so large, uh, but thinking that's, that's the end all be all. I, I do think that's not how the history books are going to be written. But again, you tell me when you when you when you see what happens in 2032. Um, I think in terms of what I am <clears throat> proud of in 2022 is we have really um, made a lot of progress this year in framing the I'd say execution of the health assurance vision that you and I wrote about, kind of framing that into a radical collaboration problem. I think. The partnership that, Steve, you and I first did a couple of years ago when you were at Jefferson to now a real movement where health systems are sort of seeing GC as a thought partner in this transition. Uh, I think that really took serious hold this year for us. 
And I'm really proud of that. I do, I do think, you know, we have a ambiguous journey ahead, but that collaboration, uh, staying true to our health assurance principles is how we're going to arrive at the answer, uh, of this transformation. What was your last one? What am well, I crying about? One, well, you know, what would you say, Kaijin, now, now that I'm living here in 2032, you know, you know, maybe I should have thought about this, you know, what, what, you know, when, when you're up at night, what's one thing that you think that uh, maybe we ought to think about doing this a little bit better? You know, um, <clears throat> one of the problems that is a really difficult one in this space is um, that there's a death by point solutions. There's a lot of innovation that happens in healthcare because the market sizes are so large that, uh, you know, entre- now that entrepreneurs are seeing some success with Livongo and others, you know, people want to get into it. They want to go, uh, you know, build the businesses. But I got to tell you, like, you know, it, I wish there was a easier way to foster more collaboration between these innovation partners so a true ecosystem can emerge. You've heard me say, you know, the, the, the Amazon of healthcare is a trillion dollar ecosystem, not a trillion dollar company. And what that requires is, you know, a set of companies to be on a common journey together. Uh, you know, and that is a, you know, if we can figure out how to solve that problem, we'll really accelerate this healthcare transition that we're working on. Yeah, and, and I loved I loved what you said about you know what we've become because the way I look at it in twenty thirty two, you know, is GC is no longer they're harder to describe, right? We're, we're not a, we're not really a healthcare VC. You know, we're 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 not a tr- part of the traditional healthcare ecosystem. We're not big tech buying, you know, one medicals of the world. I tell people when people say, well, well what are you becoming? I said, well, it's a little bit like Cirque du Soleil. If you just say it's an opera and a circus, <laughs> but when you actually see it, uh, you, your point about the health insurance partnerships, which we'll get to in a minute, it's like, you know, people are curious. But then when Daryl or I go and talk to them, wow, this is exactly what we needed. But I want to... Um, and, and by the way, I think, you know, getting back to that, to the point you made, the song that I chose for this segment is the Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song, Long Time Gone. Remember, yeah. it's been a long time coming. It's going to be a long time gone. It seems to me the brightest hour is just before the dawn, right? Health assurance has been a long time coming. In 2032, it took a long time to get from the broken, fragmented, expensive, and equitable health care to be gone. And it didn't happen overnight. But you, HT, and, and, and certainly GC became the change agent. And obviously, there were, there were others that followed. So I want to go back even a little further in time briefly. And what triggered your thought to get into healthcare as a place to make a difference in the first place? Like, was there an aha moment for you? Because that's not how GC had been defined. Yeah, you know... Most things in, in, the, in our business, in the venture business, really start out as serendipity, right? And, and uh, you know, I, I first got into healthcare in 2005 because somebody showed me uh, the healthcare record data at one of the systems in Boston. I used to live in Boston at that time. And I just got really curious and we ended up building a data business in healthcare. And then, you know, that's how I met Glenn Tolman and Lee Shapiro. They invested in that business. It was called Humedica. And then, you know, the, the aha moment was really, um, you know, the day I invited Glenn and Lee to come visit us in the Valley. And I had, to meet, I had to meet eight different tech founders working on healthcare. This was, I think, around 2012. And they met him for like 30-minute meetings. 
And then we went to dinner. And at dinner, you know, Glenn was very polite. He's like, hey, man, these were very smart folks, but I don't know how to tell you this, but they're never going to make a dent in healthcare on their own. And that was sort of an interesting, um, you know, that statement plus our own experience in building some of the other stuff in healthcare just hit home to say it truly is about radical collaboration. It truly is about technology and healthcare foundationally meeting at the inner, uh, inception and building a culture that is both. And so that's when I convinced him to come out of retirement and build a business with us. And, you know, obviously, you know, the Livongo story. And uh, seeing that work just honestly shaped our entire mindset towards healthcare. I mean, you know, you and I got together in that dinner in Vegas with a bunch of health system CEOs and decided we're going to team up and, you know, that led to accelerating Camille and many other things. And, and, I, and I, I think this is going to be the answer. It truly is about the collaboration between these two worlds uh, if we're going to make a transition. Yeah, and the dinner in Vegas was funny because, as you remember, you know, you had just written on Scaled and you went to me and said some version of, hey, dude, going from two hospitals to 18 hospitals is the opposite on scaling. But everything you're talking about is, is healthcare at any address. And then we had this dinner and we, had, we, we got together afterwards for a cup of coffee and you said, you know, it was interesting that everybody talked about their hospital. And you were only the only one that talked about the people, not the patients, but the people we're dealing with, which was the whole concept of Vivango. By the way, for those of you who are listening, be careful if you ever get invited to Palo Alto with, uh, with Haymont, because uh, just like Glenn changed his life, I got invited and, and a Starbucks cup of coffee later on a whiteboard, we were developing health assurance and it changed my, my whole trajectory. So, um, so if, if, if you're ready for, for, for a, a fast ride, that's great. So I want to, I want to take Ovango for a second because for the few people who have been abducted by aliens in 2020 and haven't read the book uh, on healthcare manifesto for health assurance. In that book, you said, I don't want to just create a thousand Livongos. And, and, and frankly, people were surprised because like, hey, you know, 2020, that didn't seem like a bad thing. But you talked about investing in new ideas in healthcare and, and not investing in just medical devices or product solutions, but in platforms. What, what did you mean by that? And, and, and is that still what you believe? Yeah, this is a little bit of what I was saying earlier, uh, Steve. I, I think building a bunch of bespoke point solutions is not going to solve healthcare. And so there are so many things you have to think differently about uh, if you are true to the mission of achieving health assurance, which, you know, obviously this is for the audience, not you, since we wrote the book together, but it really is three things, right? Is proactive care, is reducing the healthcare GDP, and is health equity, making it uh, accessible to everybody. I think if you really want to do that, you have to think about the philosophy of business building very differently. What do I mean by that? You know, rather than thinking about, um, hey, we're going to try to do as many things as possible, try to do things that are scalable to solving important problems. So this goes back to being sort of focused enterprises, uh, leveraging innovation. But the second thing is you want to do it in a way that you're not uh, too focused on building leverage on competition or other parts of the ecosystem, but rather in empowering it. So, you know, if you really care about the consumer, to your earlier point, all these companies that are serving that consumer in different ways have a collective obligation to make sure they help each other serve them as best as possible, right? That is a very different view from how you build a business in media or in any other industry. 
And I think that principled way to create that ecosystem is really important. And the only way that happens is you have platforms that enable that capability. Uh, and so that's why we're really big on, hey, let's get, uh, you know, again, what I lose sleep over is let's get this collaboration going. Let's, let's get companies focusing on the 10 to 15 core problems we need to solve uh, to make this transition in healthcare, like we wrote about, uh, and really do it in a way that they are doing it together as an ecosystem that interoperates. Wow, an ecosystem that interoperates. I love that. But it's time for a quick timeout. Then what mindset do you need if you're actually going to impact and change the direction of the healthcare ecosystem? Up next, we'll look into the future so that we can put the present in perspective, future and present, and maybe even plow through some really intractable problems in American healthcare. That's next on the Health Assurance Podcast. More with Haymont Tanasia is ahead. Stay with us. General Catalyst, investing in powerful, positive change that endures. Check out this book from General Catalyst CEO and Managing Director, Himantaneja. Unhealthcare, a manifesto for health assurance at Amazon or wherever you purchase your books. Welcome back to General Catalyst Health Assurance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Clasco. I know I'm excited, I'm sure you are, about diving back into the mix with General Catalyst CEO, Hey Montanasia. Remember these two words, courage and legacy. So Hey Mont, that, that, that's, really, that's really helpful, I think, for anybody listening to understand how we got uh, from where, where we were, where you were, to, to where you are. I want to move from the past to the present. And, and as you mentioned, we had an opportunity to really start to work together while, while I was building Jefferson Health into the largest uh, health system in southeastern Pennsylvania. And you were starting to stake your claim as becoming sort of the change agent with GC with some partners and moving toward, as you put it, a more seamless, equitable healthcare for all model. But one could argue, I think, that the easiest path for GC would not have been partnering with a uh, recently seven merged 18 academic hospital system in one of the poorest cities in America. And conversely, with all the issues I had in trying to bring together seven cultures from seven systems that... Um, most CEOs, that the first thing they wouldn't have thought of is partnering across the coast with a health tech visionary might not have been the best step. As it turns out, it worked out really well for, for both Jefferson and GC, and I think for you and I. But why did that initially make sense to you? And, and what learnings do you think you've had from the Jefferson experience during my tenure? Yeah. Um, so look, when we met, because uh, I was in the middle of launching Camille at that time, I was visiting with the CEOs and leadership teams of many health systems at that time. And my, my conversation with all of them was largely about, hey, the problems in healthcare, there's no debate about them. We all agree about them. We know what the technology problems are. We know what the business problem problems are. So like, it's not about understanding what the problems are. We, 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 we all are on the same page. To me, it was going to come down to uh, you know, courage and legacy. So I asked a lot of folks, uh, do you want a vendor to solve these problems? In which case, we'll come back to you in three years. Or do you want to have this be part of your legacy? And do you think you can mobilize your organization to go make a difference? And if you do, then we'll actually create uh, an incentive structure that also benefits the, the businesses. In terms of um, 
why uh, you, Steve, I mean, you know, you, you, you have the same foolish courage that I do, uh, for one, because uh, you are always a big believer in innovation is the answer and collaboration is the answer. But I also, also think, you know, uh, as you just described, you kind of represented the complexity of a U.S. healthcare system in one, uh, you know, uh, in one health system locally. It's just, just the affluency uh, demographic and all the different, the academic center plus community, like you had, you had everything. So I think, I think the idea that this was sort of an interesting first sandbox that was financially uh, not the strongest, just like any other nonprofits, but had the complexity and was scaling. And, and you knew, because I know you said this to me at our very first drink, um, uh, that you knew the complexity, because I tell you the thesis and the antithesis of my book, Unscaled. You've gone from two to, you know, at that, think of it at that time, 10 or 14 hospitals, but you talk about healthcare where no address. So the idea that there were some short-term things these systems have to do to be viable, but then have to do these really complex long-term transitions that are at odds with these short-term transitions and how do you really thread the needle? That is the challenge after all that's in front of our U.S. healthcare system, yeah? So I, I think I think given that like-mindedness, it was, you know, it became clear it was the right place to start. And obviously we got a lot done in the last three years. Amen, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting you said it because, you know, our partner in this is Becker's and one of the Becker's uh, um, roundtables I had had uh, with folks uh, from Becker's, they, they sort of made that point that in some respects uh, we – Jefferson had become the USA Today of health systems, right? Because we had, you know, we were an academic medical center, 197-year-old. We had brought a design university together with a health science university. We had a three-osteopathic hospital uh, piece in New Jersey. We had a suburban. So a little bit like what somebody said, I guess what Haymont was thinking, if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. If you could take this disjointed, recently merged system in the poorest city in America, then then I'm not going to be able to make excuses to why I couldn't do it in, uh, you know, York, Pennsylvania or Texas. Um, but I think you made another important point. And for anyone listening and saying, well, I'd like to be a partner. Daryl Toll and I just had a conversation with a health system. It, it's hard enough, but it really has to start at the top. This is about leadership. Absolutely. If it takes us three sessions to get to the CEO, that's probably not going to be our top partner. It has to be, you know, the CEO saying, I want to do this. So I know when we announced our, our, our major partnership in October, I think it was October 2021 at HLTH, it was Ken Frazier, you and I. We talked about at that time creating a consortium of the willing uh, of national and maybe even international cohort of, of diverse health systems that would partner with GC and learn from each other. Well, again, as with everything is in dog years in, in, in GC, that's gone from philosophy to action in record time. Um, we had a great conversation, Haymon, on a previous episode with Daryl Toll, who, who leads uh, a Health Assurance Partnerships for us, and Roxana Gasper, who's the CEO of, of, of Wellspan, one of our newest partners. It's clear that this is much more, much more than just creating customers for GC products, but actually creating an ecosystem of innovators. So where do you see this going in the next 10 First of all, and I always say this, you know, it would be the worst use of my time or Daryl's time or your time if we were trying to be sales, uh, you know, people for our portfolio companies. I mean, we very much view our customer and our partner as the health systems, not our portfolio companies. Uh, because I think their transition to uh, becoming a health assurance aligned system and a financially vibrant system is uh, ultimately our goal when we do these partnerships. I mean, our, our belief is that 
we are fortunate enough to work with the right set of founders to focus on building those platforms. And we have several of them that we're actively working with at General Catalyst as part of our healthcare business. And uh, our belief is that by aligning them uh, and helping program manage their work in helping transform the health systems, uh, if we can make that transition successfully and enable that collaboration, that uh, it'll be very transformative for the industry. That's really what we're working on. We've been very selective on uh, which systems to work with, not because some are worthy and some aren't, but rather so that the total number of systems we work with, A, we have support at the top, so the success rate is going to be high, and B, they collectively represent the complexity of the U.S. healthcare system and globally. So I think you'll see a few systems being international, but most of them being in the U.S., so we can focus. Uh, and uh, you know, our hope is that across that coalition of the willing, as Steve, you call that, uh, we're actually working on the major uh, transition points of the healthcare system. And, and I think, you know, the proof point to this, and I think the thing that impresses everybody is, you know, our goal, at least for this initial group, is really to limit it, right, to, you know, to, to a certain group. And just the diversity of who we've already announced, and in the next, you know, few months, people will see uh, several more. But yeah, there's very, very, very few situations where you would put um, an HCA, Intermountain, and Wellspan Health, and Jefferson in the same breath. Yeah, you know, you know uh, talk about luck, right? I mean, I uh, obviously, we, after we announced Jefferson, the next partnership was with Sam and HCA. And that actually really brought a lot of credibility uh, to the effort because it was one thing to have Steve, who's a pure visionary and believes in this and had a you know complex nonprofit system. So to go from there to actually then have the biggest, you know, operationally, you know, most sophisticated for-profit system to be the second one, I think people understood that we were really trying to capture the breadth of the US healthcare system in our partnership work. And uh, uh, you know, luckily the the inbound interest that created uh, and the group that Daryl and Steve Yu are frankly curating uh, is, I mean, it's phenomenal. I think, uh, you know, there's, I know there's a lot more announcements you all are going to make in the next few weeks. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just really proud that this, this work is truly taking hold. And, and the other thing I think that's great, Hamad, that, that I might not have expected is how, how the boards have embraced this. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know like at, at Wellspan, obviously, again, a, a very visionary CEO in, in Roxana, but but uh, um, I think in two weeks, the board now has asked me to come because you know, remember, most of these boards are business folks and whatever and are saying, oh, now I get it. I get where healthcare can actually go and move into the future in a sustainable way. I hadn't necessarily thought of, you know, a place like General Catalyst was going to be the answer or a person like came on would be the change agent. But now I see it. And I think that's it's cool to me that boards are starting to get it. And because what I always worry about, if you ask me what keeps me up at night, is is if you have a, a visionary CEO and the board isn't connected, then the sustainability of that. So the, the fact that we're getting now and almost every place, obviously with Sam, you know, the HCA board is totally tied in, Intermountain, the board is tied in. But, you know, when you get a place like Wellspan, which is more of a you know rural and community hospital, having the board saying, we want to codify this into our incentives and everything, that makes it, that makes it forever. I think it's essential. I think great leaders like Roxana get it that they have to have all their key stakeholders buy into this. 
uh, if we're going to build real momentum, real change. And, and frankly, that's been part of the selection criteria to say, where can we make progress fast? You know, because if you can do that with eight or 10 health systems uh, with the types of leaders that are fully bought in, I think the rest will follow. And that really is our uh, goal and hope here. So I, I have one more question about the present, and then we'll get to the future. We, we have a lot of founders and entrepreneurs that obviously subscribe to Becker's and are listening to this podcast. And just as what's happened with um, the traditional healthcare ecosystem, with payers and hospitals and pharma, in some respects, Heyman, I think the founder and tech world has also become much more complicated, right? You can't just you know create a, a company that has AI. So, you know, so certainly the fact that building a company and getting the kinds of traction evaluations that are needed to grow has become that much more complex. If you have a potential founder with a great idea and a germ for a company that's out here listening, what are you telling them? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, in some ways, um, you know, that probably hasn't changed for me, you know, we'll think a lot about the intentionality that the founder has. What is what is the change you're trying to create and why? You know, in healthcare, there is we look for clear alignment to see do they do they subscribe to our principles, our principles of health assurance. I think that's very important to us because uh, that cultural alignment, uh, you know, makes the entire ecosystem stronger. As every time we bring another founder into it, because we're all like minded. And then I think um, you know thinking with regard for the long-term sort of system of what it needs to look like is very important to us because ultimately the best businesses for us are the ones that endure for a long time and compound for a long time. That's what make them, makes them the best investments. And guess what? The only companies that can compound for a long time are the ones that society allows them to compound. My partner, Ken, my chairman, always says this. And that's not going to happen if you're not building a business that's actually in the interest of society. And so I think sort of this alignment of financial and societal return and this regard for building an enduring company are very, very important to us. And, and when it's just a founder with an idea, it truly is about what is their ethos like and do they believe in that? Do they want to go uh, uh, work with that kind of a mindset? And, you know, every time we find um, aligned founders, we've tried to, you know, work with as many of them as we can, as our bandwidth allows, because as you know, it's going to take a village to solve this problem. Well, and I just want to take that a step further on the founder side, because um, clearly working at, at General Catalyst, um, just I've learned a lot. They certainly don't teach you that in OBGYN school, the, the, the kind of evaluations <laughs> that you do. But at one point, I'd asked you a question, like when you're really you know, getting down to you've done the analysis, you've brought everybody in, you, you get that it, it, it subscribes to the, to the vision and, and the ethos, and you're sitting with a founder. I remember... Um, said something that really surprised me because I said, well, what's like the one question you'd ask? He said, I asked them if they thought about an exit. And I, I said, yeah, that makes sense because you probably want to get an ROI. And I said, so, so you want somebody that can really articulate the exit? And you said, no, just the opposite. I want somebody that, that really hasn't thought about that because they say this is their life's work. Is that, is that accurate? That, that's right. We're very big on this word endurance, right? Again, as I said, the best companies endure and compound for a long time. Most of the time that happens because it's got founders and leadership at the helm that thinks very, very long term. You know, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, uh, you know, I have mixed emotions about Livongo, which, uh, you know, we built a very successful business. It was a great financial return for us, uh, but we did exit it. 
right? Uh, at the time, uh, we weren't sure sort of what our relationship was going to be on a go forward basis, but it ended up becoming an exit. And I look back and say, wow, we actually inspired a whole generation of founders to build Livongo for X. They understood what it took to build a business in this market. So that was a positive. We created great financial return. But we only served 500,000 people before, you know, uh, Livongo ended up exiting from our standpoint. And uh, did we really solve the problem? Right. So, so in healthcare, it's even more paramount to have a much, much longer horizon. If you're truly committed to your mission, uh, you know, you have to think much longer. And frankly, this is, uh, this is an issue that, you know, I have been, been grappling a lot about because we as a firm have to transcend the venture capital model uh, if we're going to actually solve healthcare. Because you can't be on 10-year horizons uh, and thinking you're going to solve this complex problem. You know, I, this, I, I can envision me and, and others here doing this for the next 30 years. Uh, and, and that's the kind of commitment and patience and focus it's going to take. And, you know, that's uh, the, the founder that I think is going to make the greatest change in this space, the set of founders, that's the kind of mindset they're going to have. That's what we're looking for. Up next, even more of my conversation with Hey Montanasia. And we're going to explore the notion of responsible innovation. And then I'll also ask Kmod for a song, because that's what we do on this podcast, of, that will actually describe how he'll feel in 2032. You're certainly not going to want to miss the HT Jukebox pick. This is the General Catalyst Health Assurance Podcast. We'll be right back. General Catalyst Health Assurance Podcast is brought to you by Becker's Healthcare. Becker's offers a suite of niche products from every area of the healthcare industry landscape. Stream episodes that feature interviews and conversations on healthcare's most pressing issues from the thought leaders who are tackling them every day. Welcome back to General Catalyst Health Assurance Podcast. I'm Dr. Steve Clasco. In our final segment of this podcast, I wanted to bring up really tough problems like health equity, responsible innovation, and a future where we're not just using technology to make the wealthy healthier. Let's get back to my conversation with General Catalyst, Hamat Tanasia. All right, Hamat, well, well, you know, I think I, I, I've tried to think about having been 40 years in in, in the nonprofit healthcare leadership world, uh, having spent six months uh, working at General Catalyst, I think one of the most encouraging and, and frankly inspirational parts of my time at GC has been that we really haven't shied away from problems that were thought to be intractable. You know, I remember my, my first commencement I gave uh, when my wife was the associate publisher of Vogue, she had an Adidas thing called uh, impossible uh, is just a small word thrown around by small men and women that don't want to do the hard work to do the impossible. Impossible is potential. Impossible is nothing. And in fact, in our in our place in Miami, we have a neon sign that says impossible is nothing. I think in some respects, we could put that that sign up in uh, at GC. So um, I'd like to hit sort of three of them and talk about what we're doing today. And maybe more importantly, the architecture for the vision for, for taking more than incremental change in the next seven years. So let's get immediately to the toughest question. In, in 2022, one could argue that the digital revolution in healthcare 
was in some respects just making the wealthy healthier. And of course, in your book, Intended Consequences, you hit that right on. And I remember a discussion with you, you know, where you said, hey, you know, if we knew that the social media revolution wasn't just to see my unbelievably cute grandkids, but could affect elections, we would have made some changes. And you want to make sure that that didn't happen in healthcare. And out of that, I think, came the GC, what I call the credo for responsible innovation. So, so I guess for anybody listening, how real is that responsible innovation? What are we doing today? And how do we ensure that by 2032, GC is defined as a responsible innovation place and the vulnerable populations get the attention they deserve and are treated as real people and not just patients? I know that's not a tough question, but <laughs> go at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can we can solve climate change after that too, if you'd like. Um, I, I would look. I would say, um, look. First of all, responsible innovation is our raison d'être. This is our how of how we do everything at GC. And and frankly, it's you know we're early in our journey with this mindset, but uh, we're deep believers that that's what it's going to take to build uh, the leading uh, firm with innovation, uh, you know, at its core. Um, you know, responsible innovation to us is three things. It's, it's being um, intentional about the change we're trying to create. It's being inclusive of all stakeholders, uh, uh, you know, including the planet. Uh, and then it's also, um, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, sort of very focused on creating success, both at the intersection of financial and societal return. Okay, so the way we think about generating return has to be that it's a false choice between financial and societal return. So that's the ethos of the place, okay, GC. When you think about GC's healthcare business, which is what we're talking about here today, um, you know, that those translate into our principles of health assurance. And so if we did all this work and we deployed billions of dollars, you know, over the last few years and the next decade, uh, and all we did was make the uh, system better for folks that could already afford it, I think we failed, right? So it's, it's, that's why one of the core pillars of health insurance is health equity. It really is about being accessible to everybody. And, and by the way, I think it's really important that we uh, understand health equity is not just about inner cities. The rural America is also eviscerated, for example. I mean, we have certain demographics that don't get uh, care with any kind of empathy. You think about the transgender population, you think about you know, the kids with autism, like there are many segments that are suffering. And if we're truly gonna build an equitable system, we have to think about persona by persona and see that we're doing it for them. And uh, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of work that we and others have to do over the next decade to address it. Um, and, uh, and I do think uh, those that successfully address it will actually build some of the biggest businesses. And these these are massive problems uh, that can be massive businesses. I, I think one of the things that I also realized is, you know, you're going right at the, you know, how do you take population health and social determinants from philosophic and academic exercises to the mainstream? Like, you know, Ken Frazier and I spent a lot of time talking about food as medicine, for example. Well, it turns out that that the GC has a, a seed of some of those kind of, of, of healthcare systems. So you start to go a little bit from just being, a, you know, we're helping health systems evolve or, or payers evolve or pharma evolve to we're really starting to be that bridge between vulnerable folks 
and and the traditional healthcare system. Is that is that? Is that yeah, good? look, I, I, yeah, I think I think at at the foundation of it, you need to get, you know, technology, healthcare, and pharma working together, and persona by persona thinking about like what's needed, and what's needed isn't uh, only the right uh, proactive health services. Uh, it's also, as you said, food is medicine. It's you know, it's 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 the environmental um, uh, circumstances. It's about uh, pharma and you know, science doing its thing for all the segments versus just a few. All of that has to come together. I mean, these are very complex systemic problems, and 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 that's why it's important to include all those stakeholders in solving them. Even democratizing clinical research, right? Like we've done with uh, Kira. Where, where we say, hey, you know, why should clinical research just be for people that, you know, can go and call anybody and call Hopkins or whatever? Hey, anybody that has this issue, we ought to be able to use technology. So, okay, let's, so now that we've, <laughs> we've gotten to that intractable problem, let's talk about another one of the big chasms in healthcare, the separation between mental and physical health. Um, you know, the, it's clear to me that people want to thrive and be happy without healthcare getting in the way. And that most of the bad habits and depressions are related to not feeling good about yourself. And, you know, I, I, I reread our book because a lot of times what happens when you're writing it, you don't actually get a chance to read it. And, you know, now that I'm getting involved in, in a greater level and, you know, two things that really hit me where we talked about the physical and we talked about, you know, how asinine it is that we even talk about getting a physical. It's like, oh, okay, let's talk about from the neck down. And we also talked about 14 of the 15 minutes that you spend with your doctor being collecting data instead of having human-to-human interaction. So, so let's talk about, you know, sort of the general feel of behavioral and mental health and how we're getting into this. This, this, this to me, is a really uh, important part of how we think about building the healthcare system over the next decade. All the work has been about the body, right? Uh, it's all been, like, to the point where... We didn't even develop any drugs for the mind for the last 30, 40 years. Some stuff has started now, but it was just, you know, it was a, a zone of no innovation for a long time. And we would even not acknowledge that mental health was, uh, you know, uh, like a mental disease is a condition, right? I would even go a step further and say, you know what? A couple thousand years ago, ancestors would have said there's also the spirit. It's the spirit, the mind, and the body, right? And, and sort of thinking about health more holistically, uh, and, you know, making advances around, uh, you know, the whole person, you know, that phrase is used, but I don't think we comprehensively think about what that phrase means is really, really important. You know, I think we're now in a phase where we've gone from just thinking about the body to acknowledging mental health and behavioral health is a thing. Uh, and we need to build a delivery system. We need to build a workforce. We need to build therapies. Right, uh, and we need to take the stigma out of it so that people actually engage and embrace uh, uh, this care model versus being judged a certain way uh, if they were to engage in it. So I think there's there's a lot of work to do uh, to you know um, uh, really address mental health, and that's why uh, you know you you got to get all these different stakeholders together. I know our team's actually putting a workshop together with a bunch of folks across these different disciplines to talk about this. Um, and, uh, you know, there's so much innovation that's gotten created, but there's like a thousand point solutions. There's no platform that's really gone and, and sort of thought about this holistically. And I think somebody needs to go do that, uh, if we're going to really make a difference. You know, I just thought if, if I get to DJ a, a GC party, there's a great song 
uh, from Flaming Ember in the 1970s. You guys can look it up called Mind, Body and Soul. Uh, that would probably be that would probably be be a good one. And you know, the person who talks about that a lot, Heyman, is uh, is uh, the former my former head of our NCI Cancer Center, Karen Knutson, who's now the head of uh, the American Cancer Society. Um, she's talking about Cancer Care 360. That you know, there's the academic medical center, there's healthcare at any address, but then there's the behavioral piece and, and the mental piece, but then there's also the spiritual piece of, of 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 believing. And I think if we can be part of all four of those. So I want to get personal for a minute and talk about me. Um, but to be more accurate, talk about the fastest growing demographic in the United States, of which I'm part of, uh, that's the aging population. So as the only person in the GC ecosystem that gets discounts to movies, maybe other than your, your student interns, um, if we were developing a thesis for healthy aging, how would we go about it? And, and what would GC's involvement look like in 2032? First of all, we can't achieve our goals if we don't address it. <clears throat> so I don't think it's an if. It really is one that we have to address it. And, and, and I know it's, it's uh, something you're thinking a lot about and the team is thinking a lot about, but we have to address it. Um, I, I think healthy age, first of all, 50% of the healthcare costs are in the last six months, yeah? So we, we, how can we change the, the cost curves if we're not going to address it? It's, um, it's, again, a problem that you have to think about holistically, um, and it's, you know, it's all the way from activities of day, daily li living as you start aging to host hospice. And, uh, you know, my father passed away two, uh, you know, years ago, actually the day before the lockdown, uh, for COVID and, uh, um, you know, he was, he was suffering from ALS and, uh, I was asked to pull the plug, uh, or not. And, uh, you know, I could see in my dad's eyes, he wanted to give it a shot. And so we did a tracheostomy and, and uh, you know, figured out if we can keep him alive, uh, you know, on food and oxygen support. And while I was making that decision, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is where emotions take over rational behavior, because how could I live with myself to say pull the plug when he doesn't want that, even if that's the right thing for him? So, so I think taking the emotion out of this and setting up an experience uh, you know, uh, for you as you prepare for your elder, you know, uh, elderly lifestyle and m make these decisions in a rational way and do it in a way that you're solving for a great life versus being afraid of death. I think there's this huge issue, especially in the U.S. culture, where we're just afraid of death. Uh, and, uh, and so that's another stigma, <laughs> if I may. And how do we actually rethink that entire experience? There's a huge opportunity there. And, if we did that, there'll be less pain, less uh, cost, uh, you know, and societal debt, and uh, uh, you know, people will live more fulfilled lives. So, so Steve, first of all, I'm glad you're thinking through this, uh, and and I think this again, like anything else, is going to require an ecosystem of companies to come together to solve this this overall problem. Yeah, and in the short term, at least you're working me hard enough that I don't have a chance to age. So, so I have a few years to, to worry about it. I, I want to I hit one other intractable issue, and that is data. Data, 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 right? That's all, that's, you know, in, in my world, that's all you hear. And, you know, it's not about data. It's about actionable data. I think we both believe that trust is much more important than technology. And we've seen where that can go horribly wrong through big tech and, and some other things. So how do we ensure 
that we can move forward uh, in the way other industries have to create secure private data that's owned by the patient, but that can also be used the way that every other industry does. I mean, I, I, I kid around because my son did some Love's Diaper commercials. He's an actor. Now, every time I go on Google, I get, are you having another baby? You know, like, you know, do you need diapers? Because I, I checked out his commercial on YouTube a couple of times. I'd really like that for my high rheumatoid factor. <laughs> Some might say, you know, we just found out that 68-year-old folks that have high rheumatoid factor, if they take X, that I'd like. Because I don't need diapers, but I do need some advice on my high rheumatoid factor. How 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 is GC looking at that? Look, <clears throat> the data problem is a really complicated problem, um, and you know the data problem in healthcare is actually no different than the data problem in advertising and social media. Right? Uh, who pays and who benefits are two different stakeholders, and you get all kinds of misalignment. What what I uh, when I think about data, the you know you were talking about cancer earlier. You know, there's, there's probably some family where somebody's got cancer today and there's an intermediary company trying to enroll them in a clinical trial and make and monetize it. And that family whose data is being monetized is probably going bankrupt. I'm sure it's happening all over the country right now, like this kind of a use case, right? This kind of a scenario. And that's just wrong, right? And, and so to me, when I think about data, it's, it's how does you know, uh, how does a consumer control it and participate in the value creation of it so they can actually make healthcare more affordable for them because there's value to it? Uh, and how do we do it in a way that, you know, you provide data governance to the folks that should be holding on to it as opposed to some intermediaries that, again, you know, uh, have done the misaligned uh, incentives, if you will. So I think it's a... It, it's not as intractable a problem, Steve, but it does require us to have a common view of how we want to solve this and almost create an industrial utility around it. Um, and, you know, we are obviously we're thinking about it. Others are thinking about it. Um, but, uh, you know, what I care most about is the value of the data goes back to the consumer whose data it is. Like, I think if we can solve it and give the control and the value, the rest of the system will actually behave much more like it behaves in other industries that are, you know, more fundamentally aligned. And I think we have to get uh, healthcare there as well. It's almost at the core of responsible innovation, right? I mean, if we can figure out how to do this in a way that's for the public's benefit, that, that elicits the trust, uh, but that also makes it usable. In my, in, in my, my feeling, that would almost be like the, the, the core of, of a responsible innovation ecosystem. Because every, everything about so, so I want to I want to end with you know maybe the most important thing we're sitting here um, in uh, in 2032. I am no longer Dr. Stephen Clasco. I'm I am Stevie K the DJ because I aged out of GC at age 77, and uh, and we've had this interview. But you know I'm a DJ. I got to play a song, and I say, Hey, Mont. You know this has really been a lot of fun, and and boy, the amazing progress from 2022 to 2032. What song, what song should I put on that, that would really uh, give you a feel for what happened over this last 10 years in healthcare and GC? Steve, the song I listen with the greatest regularity is actually nonstop from the Hamilton musical, um, Running Out of Time. I feel great sense of urgency around what we're trying to do. And, you know, I think it's, uh, we're, we're at a breaking point in, in, 
healthcare in terms of affordability and care and and we have to do you know we have to get this done uh, it, you know ideally in the next decade and and so i feel that sense of urgency i know you do and a lot of our founders do and so that that song lights me up i think i'd probably listen to it every day i'm not i'm not, I'm not exaggerating you know you know i just have to say i i love first of all i love that song but um when I was at Jefferson, I got I got interviewed by sort of a very conservative journalist, and he said, when we had done the seven mergers, he said, aren't you worried about the pacing? And I said, yes, the pacing keeps me up every every night. Probably not the way you think. There are a few nights where I think I'm going too fast, but 70% of the nights, I think I'm going too slow, given given where, where, where healthcare has to go. So I think everybody views pacing as you're going too fast. It's really just a matter of going fast enough but being able to be reflective and, and make the kind of changes that you talked about going from Lovongo to Camure to the kind of things that we're doing today around responsible innovation, which is going fast, but learning from, from your past experiences. Hey, Mont, this has been really, really, really fun for me. I think uh, it'll be a lot of fun for, for our listeners, and I, I really appreciate this time together. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot, As usual, it's a lot of fun with you. So thanks for doing it, Steve. Well, this has been great, and I could—I feel like we could do this for, for another hour. But that's it for this episode of General Catalyst Health Assurance Podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Clasco.